If you are visiting with us, I want to make note that this session will end at 9.40, at which time we'll dismiss to go to Bible classes, which will start at 9.50, and go until 10.35, and after that will be our second worship, where we will also offer the Lord's Supper. I want to thank the elders for the opportunity to present God's Word to you this morning, and pray that our time together will be edifying and uplifting in God's Word. You know, we've sung some beautiful songs this morning about heaven and what comes beyond. And we all know that that would not be possible without forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most wonderful blessing that God offers to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, the psalmist David wrote, and let me find my controller here. All right, I don't see a controller, so I'll ask him to control in the back. If you could please advance the slide, please. In uh, Psalm 32, ah, it was hiding over there. There we go. Thank you. In Psalm 32, in the first two verses, David makes this statement. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We understand, and and David goes on in this particular psalm to talk about what a relief he felt. Once he had been forgiven, after holding on to sin, he finally goes to God and he he asks forgiveness, and, and what a burden it relieves to know that we are forgiven. And it's very possible that this psalm was written following... There we go. That this uh, psalm was written following an an incident that occurred that we read about in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, we're familiar with the story of David where he fell in love with Bathsheba. He, He saw Bathsheba and he went and he had an adulterous relationship with her. And as a result, he, uh, she had a child. And he ends up, in order to try to cover his sin, he causes her husband to be killed in battle. And then he is being confronted by that, about that, by the prophet. And in verses 13 and 14, as David acknowledges what he has done and, and admits that he understands what he did was wrong, we have this statement in verse 13. 2 Samuel chapter 12. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Sometimes we look at forgiveness kind of like a child looks at a Band-Aid. You know, when a child has something wrong, no matter what it is, you go and give them a Band-Aid and suddenly everything is okay. Every boo-boo, every wound, a lot of times even the emotional scars when they're young enough can be cured by a Band-Aid. And I think sometimes we look at forgiveness that way. We go and we do things and we live and we, when something happens and goes wrong, and we say, okay, well, I need to be forgiven. And then we expect that once the forgiveness is received, 
everything is right in the world and everything is perfect and everything is exactly as it was before. We want to spend a few minutes this morning looking at is the fact that that simply doesn't, is not the way that forgiveness works. There are some things that despite the wonderful nature of forgiveness, despite God's willingness to forgive us of any sin, there are still some consequences that come that we need to be aware of. The first of those that we want to look at is that forgiveness will not guarantee that others will forgive us. I know what we want to say is, well, they should. And certainly that's correct. Certainly those who have the attitude that they ought will forgive. But if you look at Matthew chapter 18, we see Jesus set the pattern of what ought to be the case. And we understand this is what ought to be the case. In Matthew 18 and verse 21, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And that indeed is the standard. And Jesus isn't saying, and we all understand, Jesus isn't saying, well, when somebody sins against you, you keep a track, and when you get to 490, you, have to, you, you can quit forgiving them. The idea is here, seven and ten are numbers of perfection. And so when you take 70 times seven, this is perfection multiplied. And so the idea is, is that you never quit forgiving. In fact, the analogy that Jesus goes on to use in the following parable is one that we're familiar with. The one who was forgiven of a great debt, but then turned around and refused to forgive. And in fact, it demonstrates the very point that we're talking about. In the very parable that Jesus tells, you see that despite being forgiven of his great debt, the servant refused to forgive others of theirs. And in it, Jesus is pointing out to us our need to be willing to forgive. And yet we recognize that doesn't always happen. One of the great examples of this that we often look at is in Luke, the 15th chapter. In Luke 15, beginning in verse 25, we are again familiar with this parable. This is the parable of the prodigal son. And you'll remember the son went away and he wasted his father's possessions. He was wasteful in his living. And finally he comes back. And the father rejoices to see him again. And any time a child of God, any time someone returns to God, God is thrilled. And that's the whole point of Luke chapter 15. Is that God rejoices and God is thrilled and the host of heaven is thrilled. When a child of God returns. But when we look in verses 25 through 28, we see the attitude of the older son. Verse 25, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near in the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to him, Father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. 
You know, in a perfect world, when someone repents, everyone would forgive them. In the real world, it simply doesn't happen. And we need to understand that people may or may not forgive us when we commit sin. Even though God forgives, man may not. Another consequence or another thing that we need to understand that sin does not do or that forgiveness does not do, it doesn't give us a license to sin. Some people seem to have the mentality that because I can be forgiven, I can just kind of do whatever I want. I actually knew someone associated with a certain religion years ago, and that was really their mentality. When you really got down to it, they could really do whatever they wanted because at the end of the week, they could go to church, be forgiven by the priest, and really, worst case scenario, as long as the priest forgave them at the end of their life and, and performed last rites, it really didn't matter what they did because they would be forgiven. And they could really just kind of do whatever they wanted. Paul clearly addresses and shoots down the very concept of this idea. If you look at Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? It's interesting because if you look at the context, why would, why would Paul need to bring up this idea? Why would he even address this? Look at, the, look at uh, chapter 5 just before this. He says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whatever sin there is, grace can overcome. But it does not provide us the license to say, well, God will forgive, so it's okay. One of the interesting things is that there is a doctrine called Calvinism. Most of you are probably familiar with it. Many people in the denominational world are not familiar with the concept of Calvinism other than they heard the term once saved, always saved. And that's the, the tenet of Calvinism that is most commonly touted and most commonly push because it's such a comforting doctrine that you know what if you get saved you don't have to worry about it you can't be lost but the true tenets of calvinism basically say god doesn't look at your life he looks at the life of christ so you can live however you want you can do anything you want that's what calvinism says and that's what the the true implication of that doctrine is if god says you're saved it doesn't matter how you live you can do whatever you want and paul said that simply is not the case forgiveness does not give us the right to live any way that we please with the idea that well it's okay because god forgives me sometimes we act as though we believe that don't we in the way that we talk, in the way that we treat others, in the way that we live, we act as though it really doesn't matter because as long as I'm at church on Sunday and as long as I pray to God and ask forgiveness, everything will be all right. In John chapter 8 and verse 11, one of the great acts of forgiveness where Jesus challenged those who brought the woman caught in adultery to cast the first stone, notice what he says. After she was not condemned by any of the others because they recognized they were not sinless. She said, no one, Lord, as in no one has condemned me. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Note now, 
go and sin no more. Jesus didn't approve of what she had done. He didn't tell her it was okay to continue in the lifestyle that she was living. He said, go and sin no more. One of the problems in our society today is that people want to believe that every sin is okay, that we should embrace those who live in sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Adultery is a sin. Many other things are a sin. Anger is a sin. And we have this mentality in our society, well, we can just go on because Jesus will forgive us. Jesus said, when you realize you've done wrong, yes, you can be forgiven, but go and sin no more. There's a very severe warning in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 and in verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. You know, most people in the religious world don't want to talk about the negative. They don't want to talk about hell. They don't want to talk about judgment. But God says, look, if you just continue to sin because you just are going to do it and you're willful in it, there will be judgment. Forgiveness will not cover that kind of a mentality. Another thing that forgiveness will not do brings us back to our initial passage. We've got several passages on here, but I want to look particularly back at 2 Samuel. We're familiar, of course, with Moses, and Moses was the meekest man we know to ever live outside of Christ. We know that he put up with a lot from the people. We also know that Moses was denied entrance into the promised land because of a momentary lapse in which his judgment was not what it should have been. We're not going to look at that example at the moment, but I just add it there because it is another example of things that forgiveness will not do. We know that Moses was forgiven of what happened with the waters of Meribah. But we know that despite having been forgiven, he was not allowed to enter the promised land. We come back to our passage in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we see this very explicitly. The concept here that forgiveness does not relieve the temporal consequences of sin in all cases. Beginning in verse 8. Let's back up to verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Let me me reread that. You are the man. That was not a good thing. In our today's society, we want to be the man. David didn't want to be this man. This was the man who had committed a vile act of treachery. You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. And because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes, and I will give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child 
also who is born to you shall surely die. Make absolutely no doubt about it. David was forgiven. But if you read the rest of the history of the story of David, it is a very sad story. As Nathan said, the child that was born as a result of the adulterous relationship died. Broke David's heart. And David's household became one full of strife and conflict. He had one son that raped another half-daughter. He had sons that killed other sons. He had a son that tried to take the throne from him. David's life became quite challenging because of what happened. He was forgiven, but the sins, the, the results and the consequences of that sin did not go away. We can see this in uh, many examples, and we want to look, just mention a couple of things that in our lives can come into play. We can talk about the consequences of sexual sin. You know, a person goes out and commits adultery or has a, a sexual relationship before they're married, maybe even when they're young. Maybe they contract a disease. Maybe they destroy a family. Maybe a married person ends up causing the destruction of their family. And they, as we talked about earlier, somebody in the family is not willing to forgive. And the family is broken apart. They may be forgiven of the adultery, but it may not take away the damage that is done to that family. It may not take away the disease that you contract that ends up ending your life. One of the other strong areas where this can be the case is in our speech. Proverbs 12 and verse 18. Look at this very quickly as time is is quickly uh, wrapping up. Proverbs 12 and verse 18 There is one who speaks like the piercing of the sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Some of you can speak to this. How many of you have some scar from maybe when you were even a kid? Something scratched. Maybe you fell and and pierced something. Or maybe you broke an arm. Or maybe the skin was cut for some other reason. And, And it healed over. But all these years later, there's still the visible evidence. The scar remains. He says, he who... The one who speaks is like the piercings of a sword. Sometimes you can pull that sword out. Push that sword in, you can pull that sword out. But the scars may remain forever. Sometimes the things that we say simply cannot be unsaid and simply destroy our relationships with others for years to come. Forgiveness will also not restore our reputation. We know the story in in Acts chapter 15 and verse 38 of the fact that Paul did not want to take John Mark on his second preaching journey because of what had happened. In chapter 15 and verse 38, Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. I don't know why John Mark left. Lots of speculation, but for whatever reason, it caused Paul not to want to take him with him again. You also know that Paul himself had faced a similar issue because when he went down to Jerusalem, he had to have Barnabas go into the brethren there and help mend that relationship. All they could know about Saul was that he had been a Christian killer and persecutor. In spite of the fact that we may be forgiven, sometimes our reputation will carry with us and cannot be overcome. The last thing that we look at very quickly is that 
Forgiveness will not release us from the memory of our sin. Three examples that we mentioned very quickly here. Peter, who denied Christ three times. I doubt that Peter ever forgot that night. Peter was a diligent and faithful servant, but even that night he went out and wept when he realized that he had denied Jesus. One might wonder how many times after that night and throughout the rest of his life he wondered, what if I had done something different? Why did I have to be the one to deny him so boldly? In uh, Acts chapter 6, you read about Paul talking about understanding his sin and the impact. And numerous times Paul talks about, I am the chiefest of sinners. Paul understood that although he had been forgiven of what he had done of persecuting Christians, that it did not release him from the memory of what he had done. As our time comes to a close, I want to look at one final passage to think about as we think about this concept. And that is Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 is the passage that's the key to unlocking a lot of this. Because in Proverbs chapter 1, you have the picture of wisdom. And for the sake of time, we don't have time to read all of this, this section. But wisdom, it says in verse 20, calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses, the opening of the gates in the city. She speaks her word. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. You read the rest of the proverb. And what you find is is that people wouldn't listen and calamity came. And the problem is, is that once calamity came, they wanted the wisdom, but it was too late. The tale is and the lesson is the way that we avoid the consequences of things that forgiveness will not do is to avoid sin. Don't sin in the first place. You want to avoid all those consequences and all those things that forgiveness cannot remedy. The idea is is to do what is right. Heed wisdom, listen to wisdom, and avoid those things that would be our downfall. Will you join me in prayer, please? Our Almighty God, we thank you for the word that you have revealed to us. We thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. We thank you, Father, for your loving kindness. We thank you, Father, for the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that you would help us to be the kind of people that we should. And we ask you, Father, to help us to serve you to the best of our abilities and to forgive us when we do falter. Help us, Father, to recognize the difficulty of overcoming sin as we face it in our lives, but not to be discouraged, but to hold strong and to do those things which are pleasing to you. We pray these things, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.